Last Wednesday night, we began uh, dealing with the seven vile judgments. We're almost <coughs> to the end here. We have about a little over five chapters left uh, in the book of Revelation. And uh, coming to a close here, as we've studied the last three and a half years uh, of the tribulation period, we've seen how that God's wrath uh, is, fill, is full at this point, and that it is poured out in His righteous indignation, is poured out, the Bible says, without mixture. There is no mercy in the judgment that God is pouring out. We're going to be talking a little bit more about some of that and some things that we can learn today uh, in, in the, towards the end of the hours. Uh, we get to the end of this lesson, hopefully some things that will help us to learn. The vile judgments are marked by the suddenness and how swiftly and how de- de- uh, decisively they come on, the, on these uh, folks that are left on the earth. And uh, many of them at this point, a very large majority of the folks on earth that are left here have followed after and are worshiping um, the, uh, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, uh, and uh, the dragon. And uh, they've taken the mark of the beast uh, and they followed after the false prophet who's the religious leader of the day. And uh, the Bible tells us numerous times, and we found this now at least three different times as we've come to these judgments, that as the judgments are going on and the men understand and realize that it is the judgment of God on sin, that they will not repent. And they have a hardness of heart. And uh, they begin to blaspheme God. Understand, though, that God is going to make sure that every single one of them come to a place where they will bow to Him. They will recognize Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there won't be any blaspheming in that day. Uh, There will be a recognition of who He is. I believe a a full and sudden realization of their end result and what God has in store for them. And I think it's going to be a very sobering time, a time that will wake them up and get them from a place of arrogance and pride and haughtiness and rebelliousness towards God to a place of absolute humility and brokenness. And uh, we're going to find that coming very, very nearly. Some of it's already beginning as we've studied some of these judgments. We started in chapter 16 dealing with them. We went through the first six judgments, uh, what we call the vile judgments. Some people call them the bold judgments because they don't want people to misunderstand the word vile as being V-I-L-E. It's V-I-A-L. It's a container. So uh, they are the vile judgments, according to our Bible. And uh, just so you understand, they're not, uh, they're not wicked or bad judgments. They're, it's just the container that they're in, that they're poured out uh, on men. Um, the first vile judgment, and I'm just going to run through them uh, rather quickly tonight because we taught on them a little bit last week. But the first vile judgment was a plague of boils and sores on men. Uh, it was similar to the plague, the sixth plague that was uh, done in Egypt during the time of Moses and Pharaoh's encounters. I think they would be very similar. Uh, This is my opinion. I believe they would be very similar to the sores like what Job maybe had experienced where they were all over his body from head to toe. I think they're going to have them everywhere. I think we certainly know that they are very painful and that there's a lot of of suffering that is the result of these boils. Um, Two days ago, uh, I noticed in the middle of my back I had some pain right in the point where you can't reach. And uh, 
I had Jonathan look at it, and it looks like a spider bit, bit it, and it got a big old knot on there. And I'm going to tell you something, that little bitty, that one little bitty thing, I, when I put a shirt on her, it turns the wrong way. It just lights that thing on fire. And I thought, boy, could you imagine these boils cover them, these sores that cover their bodies. And they're not the sores that don't hurt, they're the painful sores. They're the ones that uh, have the raw meat and the nerve exposed. They're the, they're the kind that will cause suffering on the men and women, and every person is going to be uh, getting these, except those that have the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are sealed uh, by Christ. But everyone that has rejected Christ, everyone that has worshipped the beast and has taken his mark, are going to get the sores uh, from this plague. The second vile judgment uh, is that the sea becomes blood, and uh, every living soul in the sea dies as a result of this particular plague. It's also similar to. Uh, one of the Egyptian plagues found in Exodus chapter number 7 of the Nile River being turned into blood. The third vile judgment is on the rivers and the fountains. So this is the fresh water. So not only has the sea turned to blood, but now the rivers and the fountains become blood. And men become very thirsty. Uh, there's a famine of water, if you will. Um, and uh, the, the statement is made by the angel. He said, they have shed blood and you have given them blood to drink. And uh, or he alludes to that fact that because of the fact that they had shed the blood, that God was judging them with the same thing that they had sinned in. And God is a just God; He is a righteous God, and His judgment will fit the crime. And uh, so He, because they had shed the blood of the innocents and had uh, martyred many of those that were saved, God gives them blood, and the angel recognizes that in the third vile judgment. In the fourth vile judgment, we find that great heat is sent on the earth to the point where it was scorching men. Now, I, it was a little hot today. I was outside doing some work today, a little bit yesterday. It was hot again. Yesterday we were in the 90s again. It's amazing. I think tomorrow the high is supposed to only be in like 68 or 70, something like that, or maybe Friday, whatever day it is. It's supposed to drop rather drastically. But we've had some weather this summer that I didn't want to go outside in. And some of you picked that time to do some of the hottest work outside in your yards. And uh, 103, 106, 112 uh, heat index. And the truth is, there were some days some people come dragging in here to church, and they'd been scorched a little bit. They were, they were wore out. Can you imagine the temperature being such that these folks are scorched? And I don't know that there's any relief to it. I don't think the evening hours are going to be cool. I believe that when this plague comes, that this heat is going to come. Uh, and be here during the day and during the night, that they're during the time period of this, that they're going to be experiencing this great heat. This is a fulfillment from a prophecy found in Malachi chapter number 4. Malachi actually talks about this, the time of the great heat coming on them. And once again in the fourth vial, we find a recognition that the men will not repent. They get to the place where they would rather die than give up their sin. Uh, what would it take for you and I to give up our sin? Are there some sins that we would rather die than give them up? Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know that I'd have any of that I'd be that strongly attached to. But there's going to be a lot of people in this day that are going to be so attached to their sin. And we're living in a day where a lot of people are so attached to their sin that they would rather die than give it up. The fifth vile judgment is going to be a judgment of darkness. During this time, there's also going to be suffering... This is very similar to the ninth plague found in Exodus chapter number 10. 
And it fulfills the prophecy of Joel chapter number 2, verses 1 and 2, that's restated in Mark chapter 13 and verse number 14. And this particular judgment, the Bible says, is only going to be on the seat uh, of the beast. So this is only going to be a regional plague, and it's going to be uh, probably over uh, the city of Jerusalem itself and the the immediate surrounding areas there that would affect the beast and what they refer to as the seat of the beast, where he's ruling from. And so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, keep that in mind and and the thoughts on that. And then... uh, the sixth vial judgment is the river Euphrates dries up. Now, this is pretty amazing because the river Euphrates is a, is a very famous river and is probably going to be used to be able to bring the armies uh, that are from the east back across and allow them to come over as they assemble for the Battle of Armageddon. <coughs> it's for the final judgment of the nations. We find that referenced in Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46. And so we, we have a number of <clears throat> vile judgments here, the six of them that are given. And just like the other three sets of judgments, we had the, uh, the initial ones, we had the seven seal judgments, then we had the seven trumpet judgments, now we have the seven vile judgments. And the same pattern holds true uh, where six of the judgments are done and then there's a, a pause in the narrative and there's something inserted there. And so they did that, uh, John did that uh, in the seven seals, he did that in the seven trumpets. He does this again here in chapter number 16 as we uh, look at an interval, a little bit, a period of time, a break in the narrative, if you will. Uh, very short, very brief, but it's here um, that uh, he kind of pauses before he announces the seventh vial. And uh, so let's look in verse number 13. This is where we left off. Uh, last week, as we uh, finished up in verse number 12 with the sixth angel pouring out his vial. Verse 13, uh, John, write, uh, John writes this, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So uh, one out of each is, uh, is what I'm uh, uh, getting from that verse. I don't think it's three of each. I think it's one of each. But I want you to notice what these spirits, <coughs> excuse me, these spirits are. Uh, the Bible says, uh, first of all, in verse number 14, for they are the spirits of devils. The spirits of devils. This is what these unclean spirits are called. And uh, they're going to be used for a uh, purpose of uh, bringing men together uh, for the final battle of Armageddon. Now, it begins a campaign that lasts throughout that three and a half years, I believe, uh, a large part of that time period is going to be used uh, uh, campaigning and, and gathering all the armies together, getting people to come together because uh, they're going to be fighting this this evil that's against them and the world that's uh, the, this uh, all the the one that's causing all the judgment on the world. They're going to be fighting against him, and this campaign lasts. And they use these spirits to go out into the world. And let's see what verse four, uh, thirteen says. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of of that great day of God Almighty. So they're planning on fighting, and it's not like they're oblivious as to who they're fighting. They know that they are compiling themselves to fight against 
And John references him this way, God Almighty. And I believe that at this point, these men understand, and that are in the world, they understand that they're fighting God Almighty. But the beast, and the dragon, and the false prophet, they have such sway over them, and they use these three uh, unclean spirits, these, these uh, spirits of devils, to deceive men and to blind their eyes and to cause men to think that they can overcome God Almighty. By the way, are we not seeing that today in the churches of this, this uh, Word of Faith movement where they are teaching men that God cannot do anything unless men authorize Him to do it? That they are gods themselves. You, they actually say these things in their sermons. Point blank. I mean, they're not, they don't disguise it. They actually will say, you are little gods. And then they say things like, oh, God can't do anything unless you unbind Him, unless you give Him authority to do so. Can I tell you this, the arrogance of this. Uh, there is a spirit that happens in those places. And I, a few months ago, about a year ago, I taught a series uh, on that uh, Word of Faith movement. We had some uh, video clips of some of the services where people, men and women, are, are writhing on the ground and moaning and speaking gibberish and, and men that are throwing their hands out like this and people in the crowd just swaying and falling back. I've talked to some people that have been in that and have come out of that and they'll say there is something very real that happens in that time. But it is certainly not a Spirit of God. There is an unclean spirit that notice this in verse 14. This is what these, these, these frog spirits are able to do. For they are the spirits of devils. Notice the next two words. What are they? Working what? Miracles. Working miracles. We've got to be careful that we test the spirits to see whether they be of God. We've got to make sure that when we're looking at things that we say are happening because of the, the power of the Holy Spirit or because this is God's working in our churches, that we compare it and we test those spirits. How do we test them? Against His Word. We test them against His Word. Hold your place here for just a moment and uh, turn with me to, uh, let's see here, I think I've got it written down. Um, do I have it? Go to... Uh, uh, is it First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians? Let me see here. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. There it is. I, I missed, didn't have it on the page in the right place. Look in Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter number two, for a moment. And we dealt with this particular passage back when we taught on this uh, several months ago. Second Thessalonians, chapter number two, and uh, let's look in verse number. <clears throat> uh, let's go back to verse number uh, seven. Uh, let's go to verse 6. We'll start in verse 6. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So there is something that is holding back Satan from doing what he desires to do right now. We know that to be the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one that is holding Satan back. And verse number 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth, that word letteth means to hinder, will let, at some point he's going, to, he's going to hinder until he be taken out of the way. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is taken out of the way at the time of the rapture. I don't believe he ends his work because there is still conviction on the hearts of men. But his withholding of Satan's power back 
is taken out of the way and Satan is able to wreak havoc. And I believe that's what this is very clearly speaking of here. And notice this in verse 8. And when that, and when shall, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Notice what the, the word says here. With all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. There is a power that these devilish uh, uh, spirits will have. And they will perform things that to the human eye will seem supernatural. And John refers to them here as miracles. And because they perform miracles and they show forth power that men often relate to supernatural things, these folks are going to be even more deceived into thinking we have a power behind us that can defeat God Almighty. But they are not they are not correct on that. They are deceived into this. Who gave who gave Satan his power? God did when he created him. He took it and he misused that power just like we did when God created us and he put in our hands the power of a free will. We took it and abused it and misused it. And Satan did the same thing. But rest assured, that power rests in God's hands. As easily as He gave it, He can take it away. We get to back to Revelation chapter 16 for a moment. And here we have these, these folks that are uh, in verse number uh, uh, 14, that these devils that are working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the world and the whole earth to gather them to the battle that great day of, the, uh, of God Almighty, And then God makes a statement here. Christ makes a statement here. He says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. (coughs) These are written to those that are saved. And God says, You're going to be blessed if you'll do two things. He said, You need to watch and you need to keep your garments. The idea of watching and keeping the garments has to do with an alertness, a vigilance, a, 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 an expectancy, if you will. I was talking to some folks even just this week, and uh, we were talking about some of the conditions the, the world is in. And I said, boy, I just can't wait for the Lord to return. I, I expect Him every day. I go to bed sometimes, not every night, but a lot of nights. I think, boy, He didn't come today, and I, I go to bed disappointed. Because I look for Him to come. And I, I have an expectation for Him to come. And I want there, there to be a vigilance and an alertness. And this is what God is telling those that are left on the earth during this period of time. He said, Blessed are they that watcheth. And, and it talks about their alertness, their expectation. Their, uh, and let me put it this way. I think this is a good way to word it. To, to be able to be watchful and to be alert for the coming of Christ... And they're looking to the second coming of Christ while we're looking to the rapture. But they will be looking to the second coming of Christ. And when, when you talk about vigilance, you talk about watching, this is really what it is. It is our faith in what God has said is going to happen. It is our faith in what He said. You find somebody that doesn't watch and isn't expecting and is not ready for the Lord to come back, 
they really don't have a whole lot of faith in the end time events. They don't have a lot of faith in what God says is going to come. But if we look at the Scriptures and we know that He can come and He can come without warning, and we believe what He said, our faith is in what He said, then it causes us to be watchful. It causes us to be vigilant. And so our watchfulness and our vigilance is a faith. It's an outward expression of our faith in what He said is going to happen. These people just believe it because God said it. And by the way, it would do us well, even in the time that we live, even though we sit in a good, uh, what I believe to be a good, doctrinally sound, Bible-preaching church, it would do us good to sometimes say, Lord, help my faith to be stronger. Because there are some things that even though up here we say we believe, by our conduct, by our actions, we find out that we really don't have as strong a faith in those things as we thought we did. We've got to be so careful of those things. Now look with me, if you will, in verse number 16. And he gathereth them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now this is speaking of those uh, that are lost, those that have followed after the beast and the false prophet and the dragon. They followed after these three spirits. <clears throat> and so this was the kind of the pause, if you will, the little narrative that takes place. There's, there's John explaining this is going to be happening in the background. And then he goes on and he tells us what vial 7 is. And let's look in verse number 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. That's an interesting phrase there. I heard one fellow say it this way. This vial is meant and intended to hurt the devil himself. The Bible refers to Satan as the prince and power of what? The air. I thought that was an interesting thought and observation. Now, whether that has anything to do with it or not, I don't know. But this is the only plague out of these that speaks of the vial being poured out into the air. And, and it says here that there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven. And we talked about that earlier uh, last week, I believe, with the, the dealing with the temple that is in heaven. From the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the city, uh, cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. And for the plague thereof was exceeding, for the great plague thereof was exceeding great. This seventh plague that comes on is very similar to the seventh seal and to the seventh trumpet judgment. This one, no different, is accompanied by thunderings, by great voice, a great voice from heaven. All of the last judgments of each of the groupings of judgments, all of the seventh ones, uh, are accompanied by something along these lines of great noise, great sound, great thunderings, great lightnings. When we get to this one, and notice the difference here as we get to verse 18, that the voices, the thunderings, the lightnings, and the great earthquake, notice this statement, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So no matter how bad these, uh, these things have caused men to fear and tremble and shake in the past, they have seen nothing like this in the history of mankind upon the earth. Uh, some of you have seen uh, video clips, and there are several of them out there, uh, of uh, Mount St. Helens erupting and uh, numbers of people that were killed in that explosion. 
Uh, you can look at uh, earthquakes. I remember uh, going down to Haiti a, a number of years ago on the one-year anniversary of the great earthquake they had about 15, 16 years ago. And seeing after a year of them working and cleaning up the devastation that was still in that country. And I began to think, man, I cannot imagine the power of this earthquake that did such devastation in a country like this. Mudslides and mountains that were coming down and buildings, I mean concrete buildings that collapsed. And we went by the capital there in Port-au-Prince and it was a beautiful palace that was a big two-story palace and a large dome right there in the middle. And it looked a lot like our capital building in Washington, but it was a lot longer. And that second floor had collapsed in and that dome was sitting on the first level. And a year later when we went by there, it still looked like that. I began to look at that. I look at the tsunamis that come along and they create such devastation in the Philippines and some of these places overseas, Indonesia. I will say this, that all of the natural disasters that man can imagine, the wildfires, the, the, the tornadoes, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, have nothing in comparison to what's going to happen in this seventh vial. The earthquake is going to be greater than any that man has ever seen. The lightnings are going to be greater than anything man has ever seen. The thunderings are going to be greater than anything man has ever seen. Look in verse 19. The Bible says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the city of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. And every island fled away, the mountains were not found. The islands are going to melt into the sea because of these devastations. The mountains are going to be laid flat. I've seen some large ones. I've gone to the Teton mountain range. I've been out in the Rockies, and I've seen some of the magnificence of these. I used to, for years, all I ever had seen were the Smoky Mountains. Can I say the Smoky Mountains aren't even mountains compared to them? They're just hills. You go out west and you begin to see some of these mountains that stretch 10, 12, 10, 11,000 feet up into the air. And you just look at them, even from a distance. They're magnificent. They're going to be laid flat. There's going to be an awful lot of destruction that are coming because of this particular one. We're going to see all these islands that are fled away. We're going to see the mountains that we're not. And then we're going to notice that there's going to be, in verse 21, hail that falls out of heaven. This isn't just ordinary hail. But the Bible says here, every stone about a weight of talent. Weight of talent is a little over 100 pounds. Could you imagine a 100-pound piece of hail falling? The devastation, not only on buildings and vehicles. Airplanes are not going to be flying here. Military aircraft are not going to be flying here. Men are going to be seeking refuge from these hailstones that are falling. They're not going to be able to find an escape for them. You say, well, they could run to the caves. The mountains are falling down. That's not a solution. Where are they going to go? They go out to an island. The islands are going down into the sea. Where are they going to go? There is no escape. In verse 19, it tells us this, that this great city of Babylon that is during this time period, the Bible says that they came, it came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Folks, there's going to be devastation 
We talk about global warming. We talk about natural disasters. This world has never seen anything in comparison to what this is going to be. Men, if they were able to have their eyes open and to have a, a vision of what God... If God were to open our eyes and help us to see what this is going to be like as John did, I think it would be a very sobering time. I think it would be a heartbreaking time for us. Begin to realize and understand. I think if God could show this to lost people, it maybe would cause them to think second about their own activity and their own thoughts. But then I think again... These men are going to see it firsthand, and they're still not going to repent. In verse number 21, the Bible says, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And notice their response to all of this. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. I want to share a few few thoughts with you. And we'll be done here. No matter what the punishment is, and God God tends to choose to judge those that reject Him, can I tell you this, even those of us who have chosen to choose Him, when we begin to drift away from Him, even though we don't have the judgment of God in the sense that what He judges the unsaved for, we do have His chastening. And I will say this, that mankind, whether we're saved or whether we're lost, have a propensity, we have a a natural inclination that even when God's judgment or punishment comes upon us, we have that, that stubborn streak in us. I remember a number of years ago, God blessed us with our first child, Alyssa. She's such a sweet lady. So those of you that met her know her. She's, she's precious. She really is. She's got a heart of gold, would do anything for anybody. But she wasn't always that way. When she was two years old, she got in trouble. And uh, I, uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was busy doing something, and so Rose had taken her into the room to discipline her. And uh, I, heard, I heard what was the commotion in the room. And... Uh, we didn't force our children to bend over the bed. They had to do so willingly as they got their, their, their whipping, their, their swats. And uh, so we would count, not to say if you're not there by the time of three that you're going to get this. We would count as to how many swats they were getting. They were already getting the swats. The counting was how many. And so however long it took for them to lean over that bed was how many they got. Alyssa got up to a pretty good number on them. And I remember Rose finally saying, I'm tired of this. And she reached over and she leaned over and she grabbed Alyssa. She said, bend over the bed and don't fight me. And little two-year-old Alyssa, little sweet little thing that she is, she looked at her mother and she said, Mom, and she gritted her teeth. She said, I'm fighting you and I'm glad I'm fighting you. Now you see Alyssa today and you find out who won that battle that day. She certainly did not. But that is the propensity of man's nature. We've got to be careful, even though we understand this is going to happen to those that are lost under God's judgment, as God's children, we need to learn to respond correctly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when He brings it upon our hearts. 
I'm appalled so many times, not only in my own life as I have found it over and over again, but in the lives of others. How many times God points something out in our lives, maybe even brings chastening in the way, and we do not respond appropriately. There ought to be a humility, a brokenness, and a coming back to God and saying, Lord, I want your will, not mine. It is human nature. The flesh nature tends to to try to rule us in that way. I want to note a second point here, and that is this, that those who do not respond appropriately to God's work at getting their attention are always prone to be harder the next time. The more we kick against the pricks, can I put it that way? The easier it is the next time. The harder our heart gets, the less apt we are to succumb to the chastening of God and to have that broken spirit and say, Lord, I want to make things right. Don't put off the response. When God gives us an opportunity to repent, to come back to Him, to get our hearts back in line with maybe a time period that we've not been the all that we should, we need to learn to respond appropriately to conviction. It's something we don't teach or preach on much in our churches anymore, but there used to be a time when the altars of our churches were called, uh, the, 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 they were tear-stained altars. They were called a, 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 wailing, a, a mourner's bench because men would come and weep and pour their hearts out. There was a brokenness over sin, and we don't see that today. We don't see it today. Why? We're, we're quick to sit in our pews with our Bibles, with the air conditioning running in our comfort And read this portion of Revelation and say, I can't believe men would still blaspheme God. And yet in a smaller sense, but maybe just as big, we don't mourn over our sin either. We just last week dealt with the fact for those that hunger and thirst after righteousness and the Beatitudes. One of the reasons we don't hunger and thirst after righteousness the way we ought to is because we're feasting on things that are not drawing us closer to the Lord. And it's hard to be hungry when you're full of something else. When you begin feasting on the things of the world, it's hard to be hungry for the righteousness of God. It really is. And so we've got to learn to respond appropriately. I want to look at a couple passages here real quick and we'll be done. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look in verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God here. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of what? Devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences what? Seared with a hot iron. Every time that we do not respond appropriately to God's moving in our hearts, whether we are saved or whether we are lost, the heart becomes a little more hard. We singe it. We desensitize it just a little bit more. We cause it not to be nearly as sensitive as it once was. And I, I, I think that there's a wonderful message to be taught to those that are lost in this area, but I would say this, in the day that we live, I believe there's a great message to be taught to those that are saved in this same area. Oh, that we would be careful to respond appropriately 
to God's pricking of our hearts. That still small voice, that conviction that comes into our hearts, and we know that God is dealing with us. How do we respond to that? Look with me once again in Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter number 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 8, excuse me. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 8. The writer of Hebrews is actually quoting a psalm, which is actually quoting an Old Testament passage. And he says, Harden not your hearts, as in the day of the as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Here God is trying to teach his people something. He takes them in the wilderness. He's trying to teach them absolute surrender and yieldedness and trusting him and having faith in him. That's why he's teaching them in the wilderness. Isn't it sad that it took forty years for them to learn that lesson? We ridicule that, we look at that with the critical spirit. But really, how long does it take for you and I to learn that lesson? What valleys does He have to bring us through to teach us to just trust Him? What what depths of sorrow do we have to go through before we finally say, Yes, Lord, You're in control. I'll follow Your leading. I'll just trust You. Notice what the the warning is here. During that time, the writer of Hebrews says, Harden not your hearts. You know why he had to warn three different times in Scripture? You'll find that phrase, harden not your hearts. You know why he had to warn us three different times? Because we're prone to it. We're prone to it. I know we're dealing with end time events, but there are so many lessons in Revelation that we can learn today that will help us in our lives. May we not be like those who go through all of the judgment of God, who go through all of the chastening, who go through all of the testing, if you will, and not respond appropriately. These people are so convinced by these devilish, unclean spirits that they're on the winning side, that even in the midst of things that man has never experienced before, the the horrific plague of the seventh vial, all of the catastrophe, all of the things that are happening, in the midst of all of that, they blaspheme God and will not repent. May we not be guilty of the same. May we learn to say, yes, Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I want. I want into my life more than anything in this world. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we pray that you bless the message and the lesson that we've learned tonight. Lord, not only has it been informative and taught us some things about end-time events, but, Father, perhaps, just perhaps, we can learn the lesson that is so vividly and easily seen in these things. And that is the tendency, the natural desire of our own fleshly will to harden our